going on, the High Motor Podcast? Andrew Dowdy here on the Hero Sports Podcast Network, jumping into NCAA Tournament Time Selection Sunday, coming up here on Sunday, March 17th. First four games in Dayton begin on Tuesday the 19th, Wednesday the 20th, and then a day later, Thursday, March 21st, first round action begins. And this is going to be an all-tourney episode of the High Motor Podcast. I will skip movie of the week at the end. All basketball, all tourney episode, and honestly, I'm glad I had this one planned in advance, or this episode would just be me ranting for 40 minutes about that Liberty flop on Sunday in the Lipscomb game, the Atlantic Sun Championship game. I probably wouldn't have been able to control my emotions on that one. It was so mind-numbingly pathetic. Two minutes left in a conference title game, and that dude, Scotty James, is out there flopping and complaining. He's doing it all game. So of, of anyone, it wasn't surprising it was him, but it was still remarkably pathetic, especially for that scenario. So I'm glad that I have planned out this pod well in advance so I don't waste 40 minutes of your time on that flop. And for this pod, we're going to dig deep a little bit. We're going to go back to 1992. We're going to go back to 1998, back to 2016 for some of the most iconic shots in NCAA tournament history. I guess really college basketball history, probably even sports history, some of the most iconic shots in sports history. I've been talking with three guys from those games from 92, 98, and 2016, not the guys who won the game. So I talked with Keith Carter, former Ole Miss player. He was on the losing end of Bryce Drew's shot in 98. I talked with Jamel Martinez, former Kentucky player. He was there in 92 when the Wildcats lost on Christian Leitner's shot. And then the third one, I talked with Isaiah Taylor, former Texas guard. Remember his team? lost to Northern Iowa, that was three years ago, on that Paul Jesperson half-court heave in the first round. And honestly, I was kind of surprised that these guys would talk about those games. I wasn't really sure what type of response I would get when I started reaching out and trying to locate some of these players on the losing end of those shots. I was hoping to grab maybe a guy or two, and it worked out pretty well. I was able to talk with uh, Keith, Jamel, and Isaiah, get them to kind of help us walk through that moment, walk through the emotions of that, the minutes after, the days and hours after, being on the wrong side of history that's going to be replayed for their entire lives. So I've chopped most questions out uh, of these interviews. I want to kind of just let their stories and let their thoughts do the talking, get myself out of there. So we're going to start with Keith, then we'll go to Jamel, and lastly, Isaiah Taylor. Jamie Sykes, Carter pressuring. It's to Jenkins, to Drew for the win! Good! Oh! He did it! Bryce Drew did it! Falpo has won the game! A miracle! Keith, let's start here. Back in 98, versus Valpo, 4.1 seconds remaining. Ansu Cisse misses those free throws. Timeout called in between the first and second. What's the mindset in that huddle at that time? Well, you know, when when he got fouled, I think we were all kind of just relieved because we had our All-American, our best player, the SEC player of the year, you know, all of those things going to the line to, to seal the deal for us. And, he, you know, he, he'd been so good for us all year. He'd won a bunch of games almost single-handedly uh, throughout the season. So we felt very confident. And when he missed that first one, you know, obviously we, we get the, the timeout and, and, and chat about it, and, and we're thinking, you know, he's probably going to hit the, the second one and we're going to be up three. And then at that point, we were just going to try to, to, you know, we knew they had to go the full length of the floor. We knew they didn't have a timeout. And so we were like, let's just keep the ball in front of us. Let's let's make sure we make them put it on the floor and, and maybe eat some, you know, half-court shot or so uh, in, in the last second. 
Um, but then obviously the, the he misses, the ball goes out of bounds, and the ball actually went off of me, or, or so they say. I'm, I'm still not convinced it was off of me. Probably in hindsight, we probably should have just pulled everybody back away from the free throw line and, and not had any rebounders. And then at least if there's a miss, you've got to go the full length of the floor with no timeouts, you know, and make probably a miraculous shot. But we didn't. We had somebody there, the ball goes out of bounds, and it allows them to, to set up a play. You know, one other thing that was interesting, and, and as I've gone back and watched it over the years, the ball is actually uh, tipped out of bounds in the, the kind of the dead corner, almost right in front of our bench. But they allowed them to inbound the ball on the baseline, which was interesting because obviously you know much harder to throw the ball in from from a different angle over in front of the bench. But um, you know, you look back and you, you can replay it a hundred different times and, and have a different scenario every time. But what I remember. And, and, and this is the scene that, that is shown on TV. I remember Bryce going to the floor, kind of in that head-first dive, and that, that's what I remember from that moment. Um, but, you know, as I watched the ball kind of sail through the air before that, it, it was truly one of those sports moments where it just feels like it's in slow motion, and I just you feel you just feel like something's about to go wrong, and, and that's kind of how I felt. And, you know, the ball goes up in the air, and it's a, a perfect pass, we see two of our, you know, our six nine, six, we have two six nine guys that are that they're batted away, and somehow it just gets right through their hands, and you know Bryce just gets one half of a step on our on our defender there on on the sideline, and, and the ball gets past him, and, and and the rest is history. But you know, it, it really was just a real surreal moment, and you know, you you see all of the celebration, and you're trying to just process everything. You know, kind of what's just happening. You know, we're the fourth seed, we're supposed to advance, we're supposed to move on, we're supposed to to be the team that, that maybe has a chance to go to the Final Four that year, and you're processing what all's happening on the floor, but at the same time you're you're trying to process, you know, what our season's over, and it, it happened that quickly. And so you you get back to the locker room, and and I think at that moment it's still so early in the process to really think about what you should have done, what we could have done, you know, all all of those things play out, you know, over the the past 20 years, if you will, watching it every year that it, it comes up during March Madness, but. You know, you walk into that locker room, and first of all, I was a junior that year, so I had another year of eligibility, but you look at your seniors, and you're like, wow, this is their last game. You know, this is the last time that this group of guys will ever be together. And um, and that's sad. You know, it really is. I mean, those are your, your guys that you spent. You know, most of those guys, we had been together for three years, and we we come from a, a situation that where we weren't very good. In the second year, we made the tournament that got beat in the first round. This was supposed to be the year. And, you know, to, to see those guys and the seniors and, and, and all of us that had, you know, spent time together on the practice court and, and, and running in, in off-season conditioning, and, you know, all of that was leading up to, to this moment and we just couldn't get it done. But that's probably what hit me the most when I was in there. It's just like, you know what, I'll never get to, to go to the court with this group of, of, of brothers again. And and that's hard, you know. And then as you kind of process it a little bit and, and – reflect then you start to to say you know maybe we should have done this or we should have done that or or whatever but in that moment in the locker room it's just about you know the bonds you have with the team and and kind of you know those emotions that uh you weren't quite ready for but unfortunately you know when somebody does that and hits a shot like that um you have to you have to do you have to make sure that you're you know handling those emotions in the appropriate way it's funny that i remember this but we were on spring break that week Ole Miss was on spring break so um, I'm I'm from Arkansas. We played that game in Oklahoma City, so I actually rode home with my parents back to Arkansas. And so 
um, you know, I just remember we all kind of went our separate ways. And, and that's that's another kind of sad part of this story is, you know, I went my direction and, and Ansu kind of went his direction. Everybody went their own directions to spend their time with family or do whatever. And then some of those guys, you know, we maybe never had that, that type of relationship again because we were just never a team again, you know. And so, um, of course, we had some postseason meetings and those type of things, but um, it was almost like when that shot was hit, it was the end of, of something really special. And certainly still friends with all those guys today, but, you know, back to the point I made earlier, it's, it's we never had that opportunity again to lace up the shoes, to put on the uniform, and, and to go to battle with each other. So, um, yeah, there was just a lot of, of kind of, you know, talking with parents and talking with friends about the outcome. And, uh, of course, again, you replay it, and, and hindsight's twenty twenty on a lot of things we could have done differently. But, um, you know, again, the, the part that, that bothered me the most, and, and as I've reflected on it, is that, you know, as we left Oklahoma City, you know, that we were just never that same team, that same unit again, just because we would never be, be on the court together again. So that was kind of tough. And I think that that all of us we 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 kind of felt like, hey, let's just go our separate ways for a little while. Let's let's take a deep breath. And and you know, for us, what made it really even worse is the fact that you know we were a four seed that year. Um, if I'm not mistaken, the 12 seed beat the five, um, so we would have been playing a 12 seed in the in the round of 32. And then the the eight or nine seed had upset the one seed, so we would have been playing an eight or nine seed in the Sweet 16. So. You know, the, the bracket kind of opened up, and then, you know, to, to be back home, you know, in Arkansas watching kind of that first weekend unfold, and then you see what your matchup would have been for the next weekend potentially, you know, that's a lot to process as well. And so, you know, just trying to come to grips with all of that, the emotion of, you know, not being able to, to be with your teammates anymore in that setting, and then certainly just knowing that, you know, this, this year could have been really, really special um, yeah, it was hard, and you know, I think having family around was good, and, and and that type of thing. But you know, we would have much certainly much rather been you know playing uh, on that Saturday or Sunday, and then on into the next weekend as well. Do you see upsets differently than than the average person who hasn't you know been there? Like for example, when you're when you're watching like UMBC Virginia last year, or you know Buffalo win, or Loyola make their run, or whatever, you know most non uh, fans of like Arizona, Buffalo beats Arizona. Most non-Arizona fans are celebrating that win because you have been there and you have felt it. Or a buzzer beater when Villanova beats North Carolina, you felt what that feels like. Do you see that game through a different lens and feel something different than a lot of average people feel? I think I do, and I, I think anybody who's kind of been in that situation, you know, feels for that team that may be favored that gets upset. I mean, I, we all love the underdog story. I mean, of course. I mean that 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 uh, game last year uh, against against Virginia was incredible, you know, and the way they won it was incredible. I honestly thought in that moment, this Virginia team, they may never overcome this, you know, because it's if they're the first number one seed to to, to lose in the first round, and you know, the, all of the hype and and the the opportunities and possibilities of that team, those guys will have to live with that forever, just as I did, you know. And so I think all of us that maybe kind of share that moment where there's a big upset, a big buzzer beater, you know, those type of things that, you know, if you really want to break it down, you know, in, in the history of Ole Miss basketball, it could have it could have changed the whole trajectory of where the program could have gone. If we go win that game and a couple more games and, you know, who knows, make it to the Final Four, you know, it could have totally changed, you know, what Ole Miss basketball looks like moving forward. So, 
you think about all those things, and certainly, you know, as I get prepared for March Madness this year, there will be other buzzer beaters. There will, will be other Cinderella stories, and, and we all look forward to those. But I think, you know, having been through kind of the other side of it, you certainly feel for, for the teams that get upset. You mentioned that it was because of it was spring break, so everyone kind of went their separate ways. That was a different part of it. Usually after 99% of games, people will get back on the bus together, get back on the Uh, They're playing together and, you know, go home and have meetings or whatever. And another piece of that is a few weeks later, you know, head coach Rob Evans, he leaves. He leaves for Arizona State. How how did that that play into it at all? I'm not sure if there was like a a healing period for you guys or how did the team handle a coaching change, you know, a big change, and especially someone like you is coming back for another season for your senior year. How does that play into things when you're only three, four weeks removed from this uh, traumatic experience to have your head coach gone? Yeah, you know, that was tough. Um, that was tough on all of us that were coming back because we loved Coach Evans and um, he and he and um, his wife, Miss Carolyn, they they were kind of our moms and dads away from home and, and just such great people. But, you know, I think we, we had to be mature about it. We had to understand that, you know, coaching and, and, and movement there is, is just what happens. And, you know, he had an opportunity to kind of go back out west, closer to where his parents were and um, kind of where he had grown up, and it was a good opportunity for him. Um, but yeah, having to having to, to to kind of handle all that within a short span, like you said, we get back from spring break, and we're thinking, you know, let's let's kind of you know lick our wounds a little bit and and, and get ready and, and start preparing for the next year. And then all of a sudden, to kind of get hit with that blow that that your head coach is leaving, um, it was hard. But you know, again, I understand why it happened. I think at that time we had some guys that were coming back that were going to be seniors that were mature guys that understood the business a little bit and, and certainly hey, while we hated to see him go, we understood and, and, and you know, knew why it made sense for, for he and his family. But uh, you know, for us it was it was also good that we had a, one of our assistant coaches, uh, Rod Barnes, um, got the head coaching job, so we were familiar with him, which which made that transition a little easier. But yeah, it was hard. It was hard and, and you know, a lot for for guys that had just been through a really tough situation on the court to then, you know, have to deal with that off the court as well. There's the pass to Leitner. Puts it up. Yes! Jamel, you pick up your fourth foul with about 18 minutes to go there in the second half. You're forced to sit down. Then you ultimately do foul out about five or six minutes later. Uh, what is your mindset when that fourth foul comes and then when you ultimately do foul out of the game? I think that that year, probably, I guess most people will probably say in my career that I was, Always in foul trouble, but uh, obviously frustrating to have to go down, you know, sit down with that much time uh, in the left in the game and, and not being able to be out there with your teammates and and helping and uh, and participating in the game. So, uh, coach let me play with three going into the second half there. But uh, uh, normally in the first half, anytime you would pick up two fouls, you wouldn't you would sit the first half and then he try to save those for the second half. So the only thing that you you can do at that point is to uh, to cheer your teammates on and you know during timeouts you know just kind of you know keep talking to guys and you know whatever you see from the sideline that maybe they're not aware of stuff from the scouting report that uh, um, that we had you know just trying to do you know I guess the best cheerleader slash coach and then we had quite the sequence there. Jamal Mashburn follows out in the final seconds. That's right before Sean Woods hits that shot. And I know you weren't in the game, but you were in that huddle. What is the discussion in the huddle after Woods' shot goes in with about two uh, 2.1 seconds to go up one? When we talk about it here, you know, people ask questions about it all the time. They, you know, they show it in March. 
uh, during March Madness all the time. Um, you know, I still play in some of the leagues around here and with my kids playing basketball. You know, people ask you about it. Um, how the the meeting I was just in in Tulsa, um, sales meeting, some people brought it up and were, you know, wanted to find out. So it's one of the most popular games, uh, um, you know, the history of, uh, or at least, you know, for, for this generation here that people remember. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I always tell them that it, you, you can go from the highest high to the lowest low in, in 2.1 seconds. Um, so <clears throat> obviously the excitement level that we were at because, you know, we weren't, nobody expected us to, to do what we did that season as well as go as far as we did. Um, so, you know, for Sean making that big shot and obviously the run that we had uh, previous to that, uh, to get in the ball game and then, you know, go to overtime and then, you know, be able to handle our business there. Um, for him to make that shot, you know, it was a hell of a shot. It was a, it, it's a very tough shot that he made. Um, uh, so, you know, that was obviously the excitement level there because you're two seconds away from going to the final four, uh, which none of us had ever experienced. So, um, you know, the excitement level is as high as you can get. And, um, you know, trying to maintain your focus and everything, you know, during the huddle and then being able to go out there and perform, um, which obviously uh, uh, we kind of slipped up a little bit on that. And, and, and they, you know, and Leighton, you know, came out and Duke came out and performed, you know, to what they were asked to do and, and were able to make that shot. So, uh, so yeah, so you go from the highest high to the lowest low, um, you know, in a matter of two seconds. I just spoke with Keith Carter, former Ole Miss player. He was covering the inbounds play that ultimately became Bryce Drew's shot to upset them back in 98. And he talked about seeing that pass go over his fingertips and turning around and watching and seeing everything kind of in slow motion. Like he could almost feel something was going to go wrong well before the pass was caught, uh, well before Drew received the second pass and then ultimately made the shot. What were you feeling when Hill's pass was going down the court uh, even before Leitner even caught the ball? It's funny he says that because, yeah, it's kind of that way. I think not necessarily the pass, but more so once he caught it and, you know, his move and everything that he, you know, he went one way and then came back the other way and then with the shot. And, it yeah, it almost feels like it, it is in slow motion and time is, is running really slow um, as that ball's you know, drifting off his fingertips into the basket. <laughs> You're saying quick prayers and, and, you know, holding your breath, you know, Obviously, hoping for for the best for us, you know, which which would have, would have been a miss. Yeah, unfortunately, it didn't. It went through. So, um, but yeah, it it did feel once he caught the ball, it did feel like those two seconds felt you know like an eternity there for a little for a little bit. Like I said, we were two seconds away from you know celebrating and going you know cutting down nets and going to the final four, and then all of a sudden you know you have a swarm of uh, Duke players celebrating and, you know, piling on each other and doing all that sort of thing. Almost a, a state of shock there for a second, you know, for a little bit, just, you know, kind of, uh, I guess, take it, I don't know, take it, take it in or just kind of, you know, pulls you on out. I, I did shake hands with a couple of guys that, uh, um, that I knew and, and congratulated them and, and uh, went on uh, to the locker room. And you know, obviously the locker room there was there was a lot of emotion in there. At the time we had um we had guys that had stayed around uh during the probation with, you know, Pelfrey and Sean uh Sean Woods and 
uh, Darren Fellhouse and Richie Farmer, who had stuck around and, you know, they went from being nobodies to, you know, getting us there to that, um, to that point. You know, my freshman year we were on probation, so um, so this was the first time we had been in the tournament in a, in a few years, and like I said, nobody was really expecting us to do anything, and we got to that point. You know, I felt bad for the seniors, and because uh, that was their last their last hooray there, I guess they were all very emotional after the game, as as were a lot of a lot of my teammates. And as a matter of fact, some of them were were so emotional they didn't even want to go out and do uh, some interviews. So I ended up going out and doing uh, uh, the interview with uh, with our with Kaywood Lefford, who was excuse me, was uh, doing the game on radio. So I went out and, and did the interview with him. And after that, uh, I guess during the interviews when uh, Coach K came over to uh, to say a few words and he, he had a little, you know, some things that he, he said to me, but uh, also said to K Wood and to some of the UK fans and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a series of emotions. You know, obviously you're, it's, it, 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 it's like losing, you know, obviously losing somebody, losing something, but, uh, you know, try to try to do your best to keep your head up. And, you know, for some of us, we had, we had uh, a few more years left, uh, but, you know, you felt for the seniors because it, it was a, a tough way to, to go out. It was a quiet ride home. That's for sure. I think a lot, a lot of people, uh, probably emotionally drained too, just because of, uh, you know, everything that had gone on. And uh, you know, all the put forth all, all the effort, and we thought we played well enough to to win. And I, you know, again, you were you're so close, but you know, in a matter of seconds, it was taken away from you. So uh, I think a lot of people were probably emotionally drained, and and probably drained from the season as well. So kind of went back, and at least for myself, tried to uh, refocus on 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 some schoolwork, and and try to at least in a way, try to get my mind off it for a little bit and, you know, spend some time with, with some friends and family and just refocus a little bit. Do you remember the first time you saw Leitner shot after the game on replay? Uh, it had it, it had to have been on uh, probably the, the following weekend, you know, when they're showing NCAA highlights and things like that. You know, ESPN was, uh, you know, they still had, they had Sports Center, but, it, you know, it wasn't a 24-hour you know, as far as, you know, watching it every 15 minutes like they do now. But, uh, yeah, it had to have been the following week. I, I don't remember exactly when. Fortunately, now we, we get to watch it every every March. <laughs> you mentioned being in Tulsa this weekend and getting asked about it. Do you ever get sick of being asked about it and, and talking about it? Uh, you know, it, it's, it's become now – not necessarily a joke, but you know, you know, people ask about it, and they, you know, they, they just they they want to, kind of like this, you know, but they want to know a little bit about the game or a little bit, you know, what happened, and you know, sometimes they'll ask about the the whole thing with uh, Tim or uh, Timberlake with Aminu and and uh, Leitner and and you know about the shot and you know what was what was what happened in the timeout. So you know, it, it's it's part of history, I guess. Now is the way I look at it. It's part of you know what I, you know, I was part of it. And I was fortunate to be part of it. Um, so you know, yeah, I don't, I don't mind talking about it now. And jokingly, I'll, I'll ask people when they, oh, I just saw that, you know, that shot or whatever. I was like, oh, did, did he miss this time? You know, but uh, he's 100%. 
he hasn't missed yet. So, so yeah, we we keep losing every time they play it in March. Yeah, it's just part of history. So I I don't I guess in a way I'm over it, but you know I guess with time I've I've gotten over it a little bit. But uh, you know it is what it is. I guess. This is the second. Texas will have a chance to tie or win it with a three. Taylor attacks, floats, even at 72, 2.7 left. Last chance for the Panthers. And he said he wouldn't take a timeout in this situation. Jesperson, half court, he for the ball. Jesperson does it. Isaiah, 12 seconds left, you get the timeout, you're down one, Northern Iowa's going to the line, and that's your last timeout. What's the message in the huddle? What scenarios are you running through? Was it just about the offensive and the next possession, or did Shaka Smart go through defensive scenarios, You know, for example, if the game is tied, or if you have the lead and Northern Iowa has the ball with a few seconds left, which ultimately did happen? Which scenarios did you guys run through? And we had a play that was for Javon to shoot a three-pointer. Um, I think he came off. He came off that uh, screen. I think it was like a double screen between him and Kerwin and Roach and Connor Lambert. He uh, came off kind of late, and I think I had the one-on-one opportunity, floated it up, tied the game, and then my coach tried to smart. I mean, you know, he always did, like, a great job of preparing us for whatever's next. And I think it's like kind of like basketball instinct just to, if you hit a shot, it's, it's a few seconds left. I mean, it's like a quick celebration and then get back on defense. Um, I think that we didn't. We didn't, uh, you could say, we didn't respond well in that fashion. To be honest, I didn't know how much time was left on the clock. I just knew that it was like one or two seconds. I knew that it was, it was like one or two seconds. I knew their main player, Washburn, I was just trying to de- deny him the ball. I was trying to uh, deny him the ball. I, just, I, know, I mean, coming to court, we kind of had it in our in our heads. I knew I was taking the shot. Uh, we knew that it was going to be tied up. We, we were thinking, to be honest, I was like, okay, we'll take this game in the overtime. We're going to win it in overtime. I think when he threw that shot up, I think I was running behind him on the play. And by the time he shot the ball in the air, I was in front of him. I think I was like around like the volleyball line on the other side of the half court line. And then for some reason, for some reason, as soon as he shot it, I was running behind him. I was seeing the ball in the air. I just knew he was going to make it for some reason. I was like, yo, it, it can't be us. It can't be us. It's like, that's like what I'm thinking in my mind. And then when he hit it, I just dropped to the ground. I knew it was going to be my last college game. It's like the NCAA tournament. You know, like a few of those are going to happen every year in the NCAA tournament. And then when he shot it, I was like, I know it's going to be us. I know it's going to be us. When he shot the ball, he 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 got a clean look. He got a clean look. We didn't really contest it as I thought we should have. He got a clean look at it, and, and it went off the glass. And to be honest, as soon as the shot went, went in, it was kind of like a moment of disbelief, kind of like, I thought this was our year to get to a CCC and Elite Eight. And then that kind of opportunity got taken away from me, taken away from us as a team. So I knew that was going to be my last year in college. Um, once I got to the locker room, um, it was kind of bittersweet knowing that, you know, I had camaraderie with three years. That being my last year, I knew that I wasn't coming back for my senior year. So it was a moment of just silence, you know what I'm saying? When we first came to the locker room, you know, nobody's really talking, nobody's in the phones or any of that. Everybody's just sitting there, you know, so heads, heads, heads kind of down. I think mine was in a towel. So smart, shocker. Um, he just, he just, he just came in and said he loved us, you know, saying stuff like that. But I mean, once a moment happens like that, I don't think there's words that could be said that can match your emotion or you feeling how you feel at the moment. So 
you know, everybody, I think everybody's kind of got through it in, like, their own way. I think that was, like, the kind of bittersweet moment. But, I mean, joyful at the same time because I knew that I was going to move on to the next chapter of my life, and I was going to get to do what I do um, and get paid for it and, and be a professional. After the next day, I was in grind mode after that. Like, it, it lasted. I probably took, like, maybe, like, two days off, I'll probably say. I probably took like two days off, didn't go to class, didn't do any of that. I was just in my dorm room. I was in my dorm room sitting in the dark. I think I was playing. I think I might have called my mom a few times, but that's about it. You know, I sat in my dorm room for a few days and then just came to a realization that it's over. You know what I'm saying? It's over. Move on to the next thing. And I started preparing for the NBA draft. The first time I seen a replay, uh, I was back on uh, I was on Twitter. <laughs> and um, everybody was tagging me and something on Twitter. It was like, damn, I feel sorry for you. I feel sorry for you. I'm like, what is everybody talking about? I'm like, what is everybody talking about? I'm thinking something happened, some other news that got out. But it was a shock. Man, I've I seen it. He posted, and a bunch of my, um, and a bunch of, like, fans had tagged me in and stuff like that. So that's not, I think that's when I've seen it. Probably, like, I think it was probably, like, like a week after. You know, he did, like, the one shining moment in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> the one shining moment. And then he played that shot over and over. That shot kind of taught me a lot. I mean, even though I, I wasn't there to contest the shot when it went up, when I mean, people say you got to play through the shot clock, you got to play through the, through the bear, you got to play through the buzzer, I, um, that's exactly what they mean. You know, anything can happen within a few seconds of the game. One thing here, probably the thing that I found most interesting was Jamel's comments about being part of history. I know that his shot was, was the farthest back of the three that we talked about. We're sitting here 27 years ago, so I'm not really sure how time heals some of those things, but still his comments about being part of history, he's on the, the very wrong side of history, clearly. And again, we're 27 years removed, but still, after I stopped the recording, he, you know, he asked something to the effect of, you know, why am I putting this episode together? What's this podcast episode is going to be like just curiosity questions so I explain why and I, I we, that we always see the winning side of it no one really remembers the losing side outside of those fans as much and and obviously we know why it's covered that way clearly Leitner uh, Grant Hill and Duke are going to get the attention clearly Bryce Drew is going to get the attention so I explained to him why I wanted to do an episode like this and he he kind of thanked me profusely kind of like when he said in, in that interview that he's come to almost appreciate being part of history and it is what it is and it's interesting to see how that's evolved over time and after we talked I think it was the next day or even maybe later that day I can't remember he texted back and asked when the episode will drop and, th- and thanked me again so that really surprised me I wasn't sure like I said what the reactions were going to be when I started reaching out you know after all most people have no idea who I am most people still don't know what the high motor podcast is so I threw some darts uh, a lot of them didn't stick, didn't get some answers from some people who I was hoping to get uh, in touch with, but you know, obviously some darts did stick clearly, and those that did, they, they were pretty eager and pretty willing to talk to me, so that surprised me. Okay, I'm going to be back next Tuesday, March 19th. By then, we'll have more than 24 hours to process the bracket. We'll make some predictions. I'm going to have Chase Kitty on the show. We'll make some bets. I want to have him kind of run through March Madness strategies uh, what picks he likes, what what he tries to avoid, his parlaying strategy for that first Thursday and Friday 
of the tournament. So that will be next Tuesday. That's March 19th. And thanks again to Jamel, Keith, Isaiah for the time this week. Thanks to you all for checking out the High Motor Podcast. Always a reminder, you can find previous episodes of High Motor on iTunes, Spreaker, Stitcher, your favorite podcast app. And I always drop them on Twitter at High Motor Pod. I'm on Twitter at Dowdy 88 Selection Sunday, guys. Sunday, March 17th. This is the High Motor Podcast on the Hero Sports Podcast Network. I saw a friend today. It had been a while. And we forgot each other's name. But it didn't matter cause deep inside The feeling still remained the same We talked of knowing one before you've met And how you feel more than you see And other worlds that lie in spaces